tonight we're kind of wrapping up this series that we've been going over called Clutch. Call Clutch. This is the third week and the final week of this series called Clutch. And this whole series, we're kind of uh, like orbiting around this one question when it comes to Clutch. And here's the question. You might remember it from week one. The question is, what do you do when the pressure's on you? Right? What do you do when the pressure's on you? Um, and, and we've specifically been talking about basketball because basketball, even though I'm terrible at it, uh, basketball, unlike any other sport, is like a game of seconds, right? Like things can change in an instant. And there's always a moment in the game where like the guy's got the ball and the clock is counting down and the crowd is on their feet and everyone's watching and all the pressure is on him and all the eyes are on him and things could change in a second. And that's the moment, right? That's the moment of pressure. And uh, to, to answer this question, I think there's really only two options of what could happen in that moment, right? What do you do when the pressure's on you? I think you can either come through in the clutch which this is all what we want, right? Like the whole reason we're doing this series and like anytime you play any sport, you want that to be you, right? I want to come through in the clutch. I want to make things happen. Or the second one is you choke under pressure. And none of us want that one, right? None of us want to be the guy that when all the pressure's on them and all the eyes are on them and then he chokes under pressure. But unfortunately, this happens way more often than this, right? Like chances are, if you've ever been in a moment of pressure like that, chances are you've choked. You've had a moment where you messed up when all the eyes were on you and all the pressure was on you and the stakes were high. And so that's why when I uh, was scouring the YouTubes, looking, looking for a fail video uh, for basketball, it did not take long for me to find something. Because this happens way more often. It's way more difficult to find clutch plays than it is to find moments when like, the clock is counting down and the guy messes up. And so I found a 60-second uh, video uh, showing what it looks like to choke under pressure. Check it out. See, because in that moment, in that moment, there is nothing more thrilling than when you come through in the clutch, and there's nothing more devastating than when you choke under pressure. And I actually had a moment, um, I had a moment like this close to a year ago. Uh, I was actually, I was invited to uh, PK's house. Um, PK is our senior pastor here at 12 Stone. He's like a legend. He's unbelievable. And about a year ago, uh, he invited me and like 15 or 16 other staff members over to his house. 
Okay, this big, big deal. I mean, when we talk about pressure, like how's that for pressure, right? It's like your boss's, 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 boss's boss. And so that's him and he's inviting us over. And so already, you know, the pressure, pressure's high. Anyways, we're over at his house and we went down uh, to the basement and he's got, you know, a few games kind of laid out. He's got ping pong. Um, and then I saw that he's got a foosball table. And I mean, I don't, I don't mean to brag, but like, I'm pretty good at foosball. Like pretty, like pretty daggum good. And so I, I go over to the table and I'm like, well, well, let's do it. And so then I grab my friend, John, who uh, like me went to the University of Georgia. Yeah, and you know, I mean, I don't want to say that everything that comes out of UGA is amazing, but we are. And so, and so the two of us got together, and we're on one team. And it was like, hey, let's let's you know get some get some opponents. And so then we got another team of two, and uh, we played them in a game of friendly game of foosball, <laughs> and we destroyed them. Like it, it was not even a game. Like I kind of felt bad for them. I was like, have you played this game before? Like I'm so sorry. Wow, does that like I know that hurts. Anyway, see you later. Next opponent. And so then, like, team after team plays us, and we're just, like, mopping the floor with the competition. Like, it is, it is not even a competition. Like, we are, we are completely smoking everyone that's trying, trying to beat us. And then the man himself, PK, strolls up. He says, hey, uh, mind if I play? I'm like, oh, Let's do this. I'm going to beat PK at foosball in his own house. It's going to be amazing. And so, you know, John and I look at each other. And again, we're undefeated at this point. I mean, it, it is like, so anyways, he's there. Another pastor is his partner. And I mean, you want to talk about a moment of pressure. Like no one else was playing any other games. There was a circle of pastors surrounding the foosball table. It's me and John versus PK and this other pastor. And this was my moment, right? Like this was, you know, I don't get that much time with PK. This is my moment to prove to him that I'm like, incredible because I'm good at foosball, right? And so I'm like, I'm going to, this is, this is it. This is the moment. So all the eyes are on us. All the pressure is on us. The stakes are high. And we choked so bad. We lost. We only scored one point. He, he, he completely like ruined us. And that, that, that one point that we scored, he actually accidentally scored. Okay. So he like, he scored all the points and like, it was so, and then he kind of felt bad for us. He was like, have you played this game before? I was like, dang it. Dang it. Like that was my moment. All the eyes were on me. All the pressure was on me. And I choked. I messed up. Right? I mean, that was, that was my moment to win, and I failed. I dropped the ball. And that's happened all the time in basketball, and maybe for you it's happened with another, uh, another sport. But it also happens in life sometimes, right? Like the pressure's on you, all the eyes are on you, this is your moment, and then you choke. And you're looking and it's like, it's like, this is the time that I'm finally going to conquer this temptation. All the pressure's on me and I'm finally going to conquer it. And then you back out and then you fail. You choke <laughs> and you swore you'd never sin again. You swore you'd never do that thing again. But then when all the pressure's on you, it's tough to say no. Let's see, you mess up. Or maybe, maybe it's like with your girlfriend or your boyfriend I'm like, you've already had the conversation. It's like, this is as far as we need to go. I don't need to go any further because every time I go further, I always feel bad and I'm always feeling shame and guilt and I just, I just don't think it's good. But then when the pressure is on you, you choke. 
Or like, you know, your friends are gathered up around you and they're all doing something you know they shouldn't do. And maybe it's going to a party. Maybe it's drinking. Maybe it's, maybe it's smoking. And you know you're not supposed to. And you already kind of made this promise to God. God, I'm not going to do that again. And all the pressure is on you. And you choke. And so the question I want to talk about tonight is this. What do you do when you didn't come through? <laughs> I mean, all of us want to have the moment where like we come through in the clutch. But what happens when you didn't come through. In other words, in other words, how do you move forward when you've fallen back? How do you move forward when you've fallen back into the sins you swore you'd never do? Into the temptations you thought you'd given up? How do you move forward when you've fallen back into the lifestyle that made you sad in the first place? And you didn't want to be here, but when the pressure is on, you messed up. So now what do you do? What do you do? What do you do when you didn't come through? And so what I want to do right now is I want us to look together at the story of a guy who had all the pressure on him, all the eyes were on him, and he choked under pressure. And so do this. Grab, grab your Bibles. They should be kind of right in your lap or right in front of you. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. This is going to be on page uh, 981, page 981. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 14. And the guy I want to talk about is a guy that maybe you've heard of, especially if you've been to church before. Maybe this is going to be a new, a new character for you. But the guy I want to talk about is a guy named Peter. This guy named Peter. And uh, Peter was a follower of Jesus. And they had a fancy word for followers of Jesus. You guys know what they called followers of Jesus? Yeah, disciples, right? And uh, Peter wasn't the only disciple. In fact, there were 12, uh, 12 of these guys. So there were 12 disciples of Jesus. And so, I don't know, but I think, I think if Jesus had a basketball team, the, like this would be his team, right? You know, these would be the guys on his team. And just like with any team, you got some guys that warm the bench and that's kind of all they're good for. And then you got some guys that are like all-stars, right? The guys that always seem to come through in the clutch. Well, Peter, Peter was an all-star. In fact, Jesus had this like elite group of three guys that he always, he, you know, he kind of took them on secret missions and he would invite them to do things he didn't invite the other disciples to. And they were Peter, James, and John. So this was like the all-star crew. These were the people that when the pressure was on, when all the eyes were on them, when the stakes are high, they always came through in the clutch. In fact, there was this one time that um, Jesus looked at all his disciples, so he's got 12 of them right there, and he asked them what I think is a pretty simple question. He says, hey, um, who do you think I am? Just who do, you, who do you think I am? And all the guys, all these disciples were like scared to say anything. I mean, I mean, I mean, this is some like pretty intense pressure when the guy you're following asks you a pretty, um, pretty like basic question like this about his character, about who he is. But Peter wasn't afraid to take the shot. And so Peter stood up, even though no one else would, he stood up and he looked at Jesus and all the eyes are on Peter. And he says, Jesus I think you're the Christ, Messiah, the son of the living God. <laughs> and then there was a pause. And everyone's wondering, did, was that right? <laughs> like, was that, was that what he was supposed to say? And then Jesus looks at Peter and says, you're absolutely right. That's exactly who I am. And so Peter came through in the clutch with all the eyes on him all the pressure on him. Well, on this one particular occasion, uh, Jesus had more than just his disciples. He actually had a big crowd and he was getting ready to dismiss them. Um, but he noticed that they hadn't eaten for a long time. And so, uh, he found this kid that's got like a sack lunch and he took the kid's sack lunch. He's like, can I, 
can I have this for a second? Just trust me. Um, you'll thank me later. So he took the sack lunch and then he did something miraculous and incredible. He fed 5,000 people with that sack lunch. Like 5,000 people were full by the end of it. In fact, they collected baskets left over and the baskets were more than they started with. That's how much food Jesus made appear out of nowhere. And so as you can imagine, people like they were all about Jesus, right? Like they, they wanted to follow Jesus. And you know why? It's because it's food. Like, dude, if you're going to miraculously make some food, I'm in, you know, like this, this is amazing. Like, dude, if, if, if you can work some magic, like my mom wants me to eat this broccoli, right? If you can do your Jesus stuff and make it pizza, that would be amazing, right? You just fed 5,000. So, you know, or like you grab a buddy's wing, uh, you know, like some hot wings and you grab it and you're like, Hey, I stole it from him. We'll talk about that later. That's bad. I know. But can you make this into 12? That would be great. Cause he's got teriyaki and I want teriyaki. So can you do that? Right. So everyone wants to follow after Jesus because he just multiplied all this food. Jesus, the great multiplier of food. And so he's at like the height of his fame because everyone loves food and everyone wants to follow after Jesus now. And Jesus does something so strange. This is what it says. Right after he does this big miracle, immediately, so as soon as everyone is fed, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. <laughs> so he had just fed all these people and now the people are like, whatever you want to do, Jesus, we're going to follow because you just made food and that was amazing. And Jesus looks at him and goes, all right, we're done here. Buffet's closed. Sorry, Costco is all out of free samples. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're done. You guys head home. We'll see you next time. Hey, uh, 12 disciples, you just go ahead, get in a boat, just kind of, you know, go off uh, into the water. Everyone else, see ya. Have fun. Uh, we'll see you later. You know, come back maybe for, for some more deals later, right? And that's what he did. He immediately gets rid of everyone. And then, then he does this. After he dismissed them, so he dismissed everyone. Disciples are off in a boat. He, Jesus, went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Now, now, if, uh, if I was Jesus, um, which let's just thank God for a second that I'm not, right? That would not be a good thing for anyone. Okay, but if I was Jesus and I just fed 5,000 people, you know what I would have been doing? I'd have gathered up all my disciples and been like, how cool was that? Right? Did you see that kid's face when I took his lunch? He thought I was going to beat him up or something. And then I fed everyone. His eyes got so big. Wasn't that awesome? But he doesn't do that. Instead, he goes up on a mountainside and begins talking to his heavenly father. And he says, dad, how cool was that? They were hungry and you fed them. Wasn't that amazing? I just love that. I love that he doesn't look for other people. Instead, he looks to his heavenly father. Well, meanwhile, the disciples are off and they're kind of chilling on this boat. And again, I don't, the text doesn't say this, but if I was one of the disciples, I would imagine that I'm, I'm probably talking about what just happened. You know what I'm saying? Like, hey, so that was crazy. We never saw Jesus do that before. He fed a ton of people. What do you think that means? I don't know. What do you think that means? Peter, what do you think? Right? And they're all together and they're all talking about what just happened. And while they're out there on this boat talking about what, who Jesus is and what he's done, this is what it says. Shortly before dawn, so they're talking and it's all night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Now, Matthew writes this kind of like casually, right? It's like, I don't know, 6, 7 a.m. and Jesus walks on the lake. And I'm like, what? He walked on the, le like on top 
of the lake. Do you guys get that? On Like he's walking on the lake. You're not impressed. Okay. When I was, uh, I don't know, seven or eight, um, I used to do this thing with my buddies. I don't know if you ever did this, but uh, he had a pool in his backyard. And so I'd get right up to the edge. And uh, the, the goal was how many steps can you take before you sink? You know what I'm talking about, right? And, uh, and if you get two steps, then you're not even trying, right? Come on. If you get three steps, it's like, that's pretty good. If you get four mind blown, right? And so here Jesus is, and he starts, and he's one, two, three, four, five, and he just keeps going. And he's still, and he's walking on top of the water. Hello, this is, this is big, like a big deal. And so this is what happens next, as you can imagine. Um, when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, again, Matthew's like, I don't know if he got it, but he's walking on top of the, he's not swimming in, he's on top. So he's walking on the lake. They were terrified. Obviously, right? This is, the, this is kind of a no-duh verse. It's like, yeah, I'd say they were. Okay, so they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. And so they're seeing this guy. They actually don't even know who it is. They just see this guy, and he's walking on top of the water, and they're like, I never, ever, ever imagined seeing that in my life. Maybe it was some of that weird food Jesus gave us, right? It's messing with us right now because it looks like someone's walking on the water, and so they're like crying out to one another like, it's a ghost. What do we do? And then Jesus Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. By the way, this shows that Jesus doesn't want you to be afraid. I don't know if he caught, but Jesus looks at him. He says, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Now, at this point, Jesus has the attention of all of the disciples, right? This is a no brainer. They just watched him feed 5,000 people. That is incredible. And then Jesus is straight chilling on top of the water. That is amazing. We've never seen him do that before or this before. I don't even know who this guy is. But if I had to imagine being one of the disciples, I think I would look at Jesus and be like, all right, whatever you want, I'm in. That's amazing. I can't believe that you were able to do this. I can't believe that you fed all those people. I can't believe you're walking on the water. I don't even know who you are, but I'm in right? That is so incredible. It seems like your power is limitless. You're defying gravity. You're defying the law of physics. Whatever you say, I'm in. Whatever you want me to do, I'll go. And some of you have had moments like this. And maybe it's like at age 12, or, or maybe it's on a Sunday morning, or maybe it's at a different church. But you've had this moment where you've been overwhelmed by the grace of God. You've been overwhelmed by the love of God. And you're like, God, whatever you want, I'm in. I'll do whatever you ask me to do. I don't care how crazy it is. I'm going to go after it because I'm blown away by who you are. And that's what these guys were thinking. And then Peter, the guy who always came through in the clutch, Peter stood up. Lord, if it's you, <laughs> Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Oh, no, he didn't. The other disciples said, <laughs> just kidding. That's actually not in the text, uh, but that's what I would have said. I'd have been like, say what? What did Peter just do? That's amazing, right? Okay. And so this is, this is what actually happens. Peter says, I'm in, I'll do whatever you ask me to do. Tell me to come on the water. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. Whew. This is huge, right? They had never seen anyone walk on water before. And then they saw Jesus and now Peter walking on water. And so you know in this moment, all the eyes are on Peter, 
I mean, there's no, there is no doubt that the pressure is on for Peter. The disciples are standing up. They're watching something they've never seen before. And they are intently zoomed in on the life of Peter. And they're like, what's he going to do? Because this is like the moment, right? And he has two options. Peter can come through in the clutch and just continue skating on the water. Or he could choke under all the pressure of the people on the boat and Jesus right there and the wind and the waves. And this is what happens. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. And so in this moment of great pressure, when he was all in for whatever Jesus said, he starts sinking. See, the pressure was on and he choked. <laughs> and I have to imagine that he's, you know, he's looking at, he's looking at his friends back on the boat and he's like, they, they wanted me to do this and I let him down. I let the whole team down. And I, I wanted to do this and I let myself down. And now I'm letting Jesus down. I'm letting God down. And I think a lot of times when we choke under pressure, when we mess up, when the, when the pressure is so great, we have a tendency to stay there and just say, well, I just let everyone down. I swore I'd never do that. And then I did it. So I guess that's it, right? I mean, I just, man, I choked. Everyone thought I was going to do it. Everyone thought my life had actually changed. Everyone thought that I was going to get better. Everyone thought that I was going to conquer this temptation. But you know what? I failed. I choked. So there's no hope. But Peter does something extraordinary. See, beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Now, this is huge because he had a lot of options. But Peter, as he's sinking, looks at God, the very one that he disappointed, and he says, save me, save me. Now, look, here's what he could have done right? He could have looked back at the boat and said, hey, hey, I'm sinking. Toss me a rope. Hey, come on. I'm going down. I need your help. Hey, do you not see that I'm going down into the water? I'm sinking. I need you to throw me something. Or, I mean, come on. He's a, like, it's Peter. He's been on the water before. Can't he swim? When he starts to sink, why doesn't he just like, you know, try to tread water, try to, try to keep his head above water? I mean, surely he knew that. And yet in this moment, when he disappointed Jesus, that was the very person that he turned to. He said, save me. See, the most difficult time to ask for help is the moment you need it most. And when you've messed up and when all the pressure's been on you and you're ashamed and you wish you hadn't done that, the most difficult time to ask for help is the very moment, that same moment that you need it most. And somehow, in this extraordinary story, Peter asked for help when he needed it most. He didn't try to just tread water on his own. He didn't try to just keep his head above the water. But he looked at Jesus and asked for help. And some of you in the room, you've been treading water for a long time. And your head is barely above the water. And you're just trying to do this thing on your own. 
because you've already failed and you've already let people down and you swore you would change, but then you didn't change and life didn't get any better and you know everything's still a mess and the family's still a mess and my friends are still a mess. And so you're just trying to tread water. But Peter looked at Jesus. And I want to show you what Jesus said in response. Immediately. <laughs> now, if I... If I could bold a word for you, if I could highlight a word for you, if I, could, if I could put it up on a pedestal and put all the focus on this one word, this is the word I would focus on. Because this is what we're afraid of won't happen. But immediately, Peter calls out, and immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, and he caught him. See, here's what we're afraid of. That we go up to God and we say, God, save me. And then God looks at us and says, oh, now you want help. Okay, I see. I see now you want help. Well, I'll help you, but I need you to first tell me what all the stuff that you've done wrong. Can, you, can we go over all the stuff that you've done wrong? Okay, and I know you're sinking, but once we go over all the stuff that you've done wrong, then I'll help. Nor does he say, well, uh, I helped you before, and come on, you want me to help you again? I, okay, I need you to promise you'll never mess up again. If you promise you'll never mess up again, then I'll help you. He doesn't do that. He doesn't say, hey, I got this thing I need you to sign. And it just says that I promise from now on, I'm always going to walk on the water and I'm never going to sink. So once you sign that, and I know it's hard because you're drowning and stuff, but if you can sign that, then I will gladly help. No. Immediately. As soon as Peter asks him, God helps. See, God offers his hand as soon, as soon as we ask for his help. God offers his hand as soon as we ask for his help. That when life in, is, is, is caving in, you've got all this pressure on you and you've messed up more times than you can help, God offers his hand as soon as we ask for his help. He doesn't delay. He doesn't ask you to wait. He doesn't say, hey, you should tread water for a while. You should try to like clean up your life a little bit. And then, okay, when you've shown me that you can tread water on your own, when you've shown me that you're really sorry, then I'll help. No, as soon as we ask for help, Jesus reaches out his hand. And I know that, that for many of you in this room, like you're sinking right now. And maybe you're sinking under the weight of all of your parents' demands on you and you just feel like you can't handle it anymore, so you're going elsewhere for some sort of escape. Maybe you're sinking under the pressure of all the things that your friends want you to do. <laughs> and you swore, you swore that that is the last party I'm ever going, I'm not gonna go back and then you fail. And then you go back to that party. I, I, I will not touch a drop of that stuff. And then you go back to it and you fail. And you're sinking. And you're just trying to keep your life under control. You're trying to keep your head above the water. And what you don't know is that you've got a Savior who's reaching out his hand for you. Because he loves you. got a God that cares so much for you, that 2,000 years ago, he did something incredible. 
See, he didn't just reach out one hand to help you and to save you. He reached out both of his hands. And all of the mess that you've caused, all of the moments that you've choked under pressure, God knows about those. And the consequence of that sin, the penalty that you should pay, Jesus paid it for you. See, he died on the cross to save you because he knew that you couldn't do this on your own. And you've been trying to walk on the water on your own, but you can't. And maybe some of you have reached out to your friends and you said, help me and toss me a rope and that doesn't work. Maybe some of you are trying to just do this life on your own and that doesn't work either. And maybe you're so terrified of asking God for help because after all, he's the one that you've let down the most. But you didn't know that that God that you've let down sacrificed himself for you. And so there's some of you in the room that you've got a relationship with God and you thought that you somehow had to do this thing on your own like God I'll, I'll accept you as my savior but now I'm going to try to walk on water on my own and maybe tonight was a reminder for you that the same way that you were saved is the same way you continue living in life with Jesus that you can't conquer temptation on your own and when you fail cry out to the one who can save you because he will as soon as you ask for his help. But I also know there's some of you in the room that you've never asked for God's help before. <laughs> you didn't even know God would offer. Maybe there's some of you that you're just now realizing that you've messed up and you've, you've done things that you've regretted and it's upset your family and it's upset your friends and now you're realizing it's upset God. And maybe tonight is the night that you realize that you need help and you've never turned to God before. You've never asked God to save you before. Then tonight is the night that you can do just that. Because see, Jesus reaches out his hand as soon as you ask for his help. And for those of you that have never asked for his help before, I want to give you a chance to do that right now. So do this. Just everyone go ahead, close your eyes and bow your head. And no one's going to be looking around. For those of you that have already accepted God's forgiveness, you've already accepted his help, maybe tonight for you is a reminder that, God, I can't do this on my own. And when I mess up, I'm going to call out to you for help. And maybe tonight is the night that you actually do that. You say, God, I've been trying to battle this temptation without you, and I can't. God, I've been trying to manage my family without you, and I can't. God, I've been trying to say no to him, or I've been trying to say no to her, and I can't. I need your help. And so tonight's the night that you ask him for help. But for those of you that have never asked God for help, and you've never asked God to save you, this moment is for you. And so what I want to do, again, if you've, if you've never said yes to Jesus and you know tonight is the night I'm in, I need help, then I want to lead you in a prayer. 
And so while I pray this out loud, I just want you to pray it silently in your head. God, I'm sorry. I know that I need your help. And I don't deserve to be forgiven by you. But because Jesus died on the cross, I know that I can be forgiven. And not only that, but I can be forgiven as soon as I ask you to save me. So just like Peter, I want to ask you to save me. And I'm committing to following Jesus for the rest of my life.